Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. It's always encouraging that our Lord always has a future plan for us. God knew exactly who Paul was, where he'd been, what he'd been doing. But God had a future plan for us. The, the declaration that the Lord gives to us in Jeremiah 21, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I don't care what your background has ever been. I don't care where you've been. God has a plan for your future. God has a plan for every living creature on this earth. We don't always understand it. It's not always clear or direct, but he is always completely in control. In today's message, Pastor David discusses this through the example of the Apostle Paul. Even when things looked grim for Paul and he was surrounded by people who wanted to kill him, they were not able to because he was under God's protection. God wanted to use Paul for many more years and Paul was willing to serve him for as long as God willed. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 22 as he continues his message, The Offense of the Gospel. Because of the offense for you and I, when we share the hope of the gospel that's in us, the gospel actually becomes an offense to many people. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears and simply leads to ambivalence. Oh, that, that, that's fine with you. I just don't want to hear it. And there's no problem. They, they just walk away. But sometimes when we share the truth of Christ with individuals, it brings a conviction in their life. And when that conviction happens, they usually go one of two ways. The majority is when that conviction happens, there is a hatred for that message because it's shown a light on who they are and what they are and what they need to do, and they don't want to do that. But praise God, there is also that time that conviction comes, and it leads then to a repentance and to salvation. The same thing happens in our lives Again, as we try to live our lives for the glory of God, whether it be as a verbal witness or just in, in living our lives apart from the things of this world, trying and desiring to live our lives righteous, not going with the flow of the current culture, but standing against the things of the culture. Sometimes, again, people look at us and say, well, that's just them. Sometimes, and we see it today, a hatred for Christianity continually rising and rising and rising, even within our own culture. And then sometimes, praise God, there are those who are convicted, they hear it, and they realize they need to change. And so, you know what? And that's what happened probably for most of you. Maybe when you first heard the gospel, maybe you were ambivalent to it, you just didn't care about it. 
Or maybe, you, maybe the gospel offended you and you did not want to hear about it. Don't talk to me about that Jesus anymore. But aren't you glad that somebody did talk to you about Jesus, that you could come to redemption, come to salvation? First thing, though, that needs to happen is that we ourselves need to be under conviction. That conviction is through the hearing and the preaching of the truth of the gospel. Not a condemnation as much as a conviction that comes into our lives and a continual conviction in our lives, even as a believer, to live our lives for the glory of Christ. I'm not saying that Paul was perfect. Paul knows that. He says, I don't count that I've obtained, but I keep pressing on. But Paul lived his life in such a way that you could truly see he had a conversion experience. Paul had what Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about. He had been born again. There was a definite change in his life that took place. And now he has the chance to fully and completely share that testimony of that redemption with those that were about to kill him. Now ponder that for a moment. Here you've got this crowd of people that just a few moments ago were trying to beat him to death. And now Paul has all of their ears. He shared with them. He's connected with them. And speaking of, again, his place in Judaism, his love for Israel, for the things of Israel. But now he's going to share with them what happened to him. Look at verse 6, chapter 22. Paul says, now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me, indeed, they saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Here we find Jesus himself personally, actively, intersecting Paul's life while Paul himself was actively persecuting the church. Paul was on what I believe one of his first missionary journeys. Not a mission of the gospel, but a mission of hatred and a mission against the things of the gospel. And now God comes and interrupts that. God's love breaks through to Paul. Think about it for a moment. Do you remember the first time that the Lord broke through in your life? Maybe you were real little. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, but you still had to come to that point in time where God became your God, not the God of your parents. Where you understood that in your sinfulness, you needed to repent. You needed to cry out to God yourself. Maybe it was in later years. And maybe you had heard the gospel message multiples and multiples of times, but you'd never really received its truth. You'd never really stepped into that arena of faith yourself until finally that one day that you had to meet God face to face. Understand and recognize and declare your sinfulness, your need for a savior and understand and receive the fullness of the grace that God was offering through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your 
behalf, on your personal behalf, not because of your family, not because of your church, not because you're, you're born in America, so that makes you a Christian. No, because you personally realize your need to be redeemed, your need to be born again, your need to have your sin forgiven and enter into an eternal relationship with God as your heavenly Father as, and Christ as your Redeemer. For you, was there an abrupt change? Was it like, man, I'm going, you know, 180 miles this way. Christ came in, opened up my heart and life, and I turned around 180 degrees and started heading the other way. Maybe for you, it was that kind of an abrupt change. But for many, it's a gradual change. It happens, we realize, man, I need to be redeemed. Maybe we come to faith in Christ, but we're still struggling with where we're going, how we're doing, and how to make our lives count for the glory of Christ. I don't know where you're at in your journey. I don't know where you're at in your struggle with Christ. You may be even listening to this message today on the internet. And again, the, the, the whole understanding of what it is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is it just changing my life? The reality of the New Testament, the reality of the truth of the gospel is, the reality of the message of redemption is, no, it's not just a change of your life. It is a remaking of your life. It's a redoing of your life where the old is passed away and behold, all things have become new, that you're no longer the individual that you were because Christ has now come in and redeemed you to himself. You were lost in your trespasses and sin until that day that you came to faith in Christ to recognize that that sin was paid for on the cross by Christ and you by faith receive that grace. Rather it be an abrupt change, rather it be a gradual change, there had to be a time when God changed your heart. That's called conversion. It has to take place. Not just turning over a new leaf, not just deciding to be good and righteous on your own, but a true understanding that you've got to die to self in order that Christ might live through you. Some of you, maybe God knocked you off of your proverbial high horse like he did Paul. Maybe you were very religious for a long time and you realize religion's not going to cut it. Maybe God revealed himself to you in a series of events. For Paul, Paul was finally and completely impacted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happened, Paul had one question. And I think that that ought to be the very same question that you and I need to have at least made that initial time, but we also need to continually be making that. What was the question that Paul asked? Look at verse 10 again. And so I said, what's in it for me, Lord? Is that what he says? No, that's the wrong attitude, isn't it? I want to come to Jesus because then I'll get my marriage fixed. I want to come to Jesus because then maybe I can break free of this addiction. I want to come to Jesus because my life is really depressing and I want to be filled with joy. You know, all those things may be necessary, but that's not what conversion is about. And that's not why we come to Jesus. Paul says, what shall I do, Lord? My life is yours. There's a lot of discussion between theologians. When did Paul's actual conversion take place? Here at this point in time or a little bit later as he's in Damascus? I believe that what's happening here is his eyes are blinded in the physical realm, but his eyes in the spiritual realm 
are being opened. And he realizes, I can't keep doing what I've been doing. I can't keep walking the way I've been walking. Lord, what shall I do? I find it interesting that Paul, or that the, the Lord didn't give Paul all of the information at one time. Uh, he went step by step. The revelation was step by step. I believe if he gave it to him all at one time, Paul would have probably still stayed on the ground. Said, that's okay. You can pass me by. Give it to somebody else. But he revealed to Paul little by little. It's not just Jesus that's going to talk to Paul. In a little while, we're going to find out that Paul also uses individuals within his life. Look down at verse 12. He had been brought into Damascus, and now he says, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I think it's always encouraging that our Lord always has a future plan for us. God knew exactly who Paul was, where he had been, what he'd been doing. But God had a future plan for us. The, the declaration that the Lord gives to us in Jeremiah 21, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I don't care what your background has ever been. I don't care where you've been. God has a plan for your future. He knows your past, but he also knows your future, and he has plans and purposes. Once Paul encountered Jesus, Paul even himself had to make that determined choice, a choice to be obedient or to continue to rebel. Once he showed his obedience, the Lord began to reveal to him that future and that hope. And I'm wondering, even for us today, if you were there in that courtyard and you didn't know all that was going on and you're listening to Paul that day or even, even here while you're listening today, do you realize that regardless of your background that God still has a future and a hope for you? That there's a plan and a purpose that God has called you into his kingdom or that God is calling you to himself even today? Maybe you've never made that decision in your life. But I want to tell you that on the authority of God's word, God has a plan and a purpose and a reason why you're even here today or why you're listening, whether it be on the radio or the internet. Why are you listening to this message today? Maybe for you as a believer, because it's time for you to get up and get moving in the things that God has called for you to do and to be. Maybe if you haven't made that decision to come to Christ, maybe today God is calling you to himself in order that you might know it's not the past. It's the future that God wants to give you. Paul's testimony continued up, and up to this point, the people were listening. I think that very possibly they were intrigued how God could change this guy that was so zealous as a Christ hater. And then it, we continue, verse 17. Now it happened. Paul says, when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I saw 
him, speaking of Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. A lot could be said there, but we've said it multiple times as we've gone through the book of Acts. Here Paul is telling the crowd about his conversion he had with the Lord, about how ungodly he had been. And I think that what Paul had been trying to do and is trying to do, that in the midst of knowing all that he had done, He's telling them, you know, I should have been disqualified, but yet God is still doing this work in me. The fact is, is none of us are qualified. None of us are qualified either for the grace of God or for the call of God in our lives for the direction and the work and the ministry that he may be calling any of us into. None of us are qualified. We cannot be qualified. The only qualification comes through the grace and the mercy and the power of God of Christ, in order that whosoever will may come. God, again, sacrificed his own son on our behalf. And that's the message that Paul is receiving, and that's the message that, again, he shares with them. Even with all the failings of our past, even with all the failings of Paul's past, he's going to show him his future. After trying to disqualify himself for any future ministry, The Lord speaks to Paul again, verse 21. And then he, the Lord, said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Verse 22. Okay, here's where everything's going to change again. They were listening really close. And they listened to him until this word. Which word? The Gentiles. Till he said this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. Everything was okay until he says, and God is going to send me to the, then he used the G word, you know. <laughs> Paul wasn't holding back. He was saying, no, this is what God told me to do. He wasn't afraid to speak about what God was calling him to do and the direction that God was, and it became offensive to them. It suddenly threw that wall off and they shut Paul off at that point in time. You know what, you and I, we're, we're, we're called to be both a verbal testimony as well as a living testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. The results of that are up to God. You may have shared your faith, you may be living your faith out with family and friends. You think no one receives my testimony. No one receives the reality of what God has done in my life. You know what? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to keep living in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is, we shouldn't be offensive in our words and how we present ourselves, but the gospel message itself actually is offensive. And when the gospel is offensive, we still need to press on. The truth, when we speak that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, you know, that's going to be offensive to a lot of people. But the thing is, we need to continue to share that truth. 
The truth is, is that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in order to pay for that sin becomes very offensive to some. But you know what? We need to proclaim that truth anyway. The truth and the reality that the grace of God is available to all men everywhere is even offensive to some. But you and I are called to not only live that truth, but look at any opportunity to be able to declare that truth from the tallest of housetops and the loudest we can, both by word and by action. Yeah, the message of the gospel is offensive to some, but yet we are still called to live it out and to proclaim it. God uses individuals like this Ananias to come and share with a terrorist like Paul. Let's just put it in what it was. Paul was a terrorist as far as the Christians were concerned. And so again, as God uses that individual, he can use you in the same way. I'm going to share with you one more verse, and then we'll close it out here. Paul writes in the book of Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because you know what? It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And once we believe, once we come to that faith, once it changes our lives, then we need to live our lives that way. Paul says, man, it's, it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, to the Greek. He also says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We read that and we think, well, that's the non-believers that are suppressing the truth. But you know what? When you and I live our lives declaring that we are children of God, declaring that we are born again, and we never ever share that truth, we are in essence suppressing the truth. And in that, we are suppressing that truth. Beloved, that's just an act of ungodliness on our behalf. And we need to repent of that. We need to repent of that because God has called you and I to be the proclaimers of his truth to a lost and dying world that's all around us. You see, because most of your family, most of your friends, most of your neighbors, most of your coworkers, wherever it might be, they're not going to go into a church building to hear the gospel. But maybe they'll hear it from you. Maybe they'll see it in you, and you use every opportunity you can to declare that truth. And yet you say, but pastor, I don't know very many scripture verses. Think about it just a moment. We just went over the whole testimony that Paul gave to this crowd of Jews that hated him. How many scripture verses did Paul quote while he was there? Can you count to zero? He didn't share any scripture. Now, sharing scripture is good. Learning scripture is great. Memorizing scripture is powerful for you and also for your witness. But beloved, don't let that be what stops you from sharing what God has done in your life, if God has truly done something in your life. Because you see, it's impossible to share a testimony 
of how Christ changed your life if your life has never been changed by Christ. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love, too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word. The Open Word.